Today I am starting a brand new series and I'm going to be talking about harnessing your emotions. I tell you, this is powerful. This is one of the most requested teachings that we've ever had. It just hits a nerve with people. Everybody has emotions and sadly most people struggle with their emotions. Most people are not in control of their emotions. Their emotions are in control of them. And that is not what the Word of God teaches. I'm going to be sharing some things with you that has the potential of just transforming your life. This is one of the keys, really, to walking with the Lord. And I know that most people wouldn't phrase it that way. Most people would think, well, emotions, yes, they're important. Nobody wants to be sad or bothered or fearful or any of these things, but uh, they would just count so many other things more important. But they don't necessarily place the importance on emotions that I think we need to. It's much more important than what most people realize. And here is another major thing, and this is going to be one of my, my major points talking about from Scripture, that most people, even though they desire to be happy and joyful and, and forgiving and all of these kind of things, they desire this, but they don't feel any responsibility for their emotions. They don't feel like it's under their control. They don't feel accountable for their emotions. Now, somebody may at, on the surface disagree with that and say, oh, no, that's not true. But really, I, I don't know anybody that just gets up in the morning and prays that, God, I want to be depressed today. I want to be mad. I want to get angry. I want to have unforgiveness. I don't know anybody who desires that and moves in that direction by choice. And yet, when certain things happen to them, if somebody does something to them, if they're fired from their job, if they find out that their mate's going to divorce them, if somebody dies or something happens, they feel no accountability, no responsibility, no control over these emotions. They feel that emotions are just a byproduct of whatever happens to you. Matter of fact, psychology has taught us that if you don't vent and if you don't give in to your emotions and just let it all out, that you're in denial and that you're actually doing damage and stuff and that you can't suppress and hold things in. Well, there may be some partial truth there, but I'm telling you there's certain things that you should never vent. There's certain things that you should never give in to. The Bible teaches us that we have authority and we control our emotions. And I tell you, this is just essential. I've learned this with horses. I've had horses nearly my entire life. And you know, if you ever let a horse just go and let them get out of control, it's nearly impossible to ever regain control. Now, if you don't have horses, uh, you may not relate to this, but boy, I relate to this. And this is just a perfect illustration that if you ever let your emotions go, if you give in to grief, sorrow, anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, and on and on you could go listening to emotions, and if you just vent and let them go, the damage that is done by that is usually unrepairable. Now that's a huge statement right there, but it is, I'm going to verify this from Scripture. Matter of fact, let me just start with it. I was going to start with a different scripture, but let me turn over here to uh, John chapter 14. And this is Jesus speaking to his disciples the night before his crucifixion. Now, this is really important that you understand the context because here's what Jesus said to his disciples the very night before his crucifixion, right before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and prayed. Then he was arrested and immediately went through these mock trials and was crucified within just hours 
of when he said this. And it says back in the 13th chapter, I won't take time to read it, but it says he knew all things that were going to happen to him and who was going to betray him. So he knew the crucifixion was coming. He had prophesied it 14 different times. And so it's not like he was saying this unaware of the situation. This was a crisis situation. The disciples were going to be plunged into the very worst time of their entire life. And yet, what did Jesus tell them? The very first thing he said in John 14, 15, and 16, this is the longest discourse that we have of Jesus anywhere in the Bible. The only thing comparable would be the Sermon on the Mount. But I think John 14, 15, and 16 is actually a little bit longer. It's what he said to his disciples right before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and before his crucifixion. And here's the very first thing he said to him. He says in John 14, 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Did you know that that is radical? I don't know if you really grasped this or not, but they were going to go into a situation where they were going to see Jesus arrested. I mean by a mob. The Roman soldiers, the chief priests came out and they arrested him at night. They took him. They had a mock trial against all of the Jewish rules and everything. And they did this with the religious leaders, the scribes and Pharisees. Then they took him to the uh, Romans. And even though the Romans were willing to let Jesus go, the Jews incited by the high priest forced them to basically crucify him. And it was unjust. All of these terrible things. They were going to see this. And you've got to remember that these disciples had left everything. They had fishing boats. They had businesses. They had families. They left everything. They hinged every hope, everything on the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. And we know from Scripture that they didn't remember the Scriptures about Him being raised from the dead. Even though He had prophesied this, they weren't going to remember this. And when resurrection morning came and Jesus showed Himself to His disciples, they were shocked. They were amazed. So during this three-day period of time in between His crucifixion and His resurrection, it was going to be a bleak time. It looked like all of their hope and their faith in Jesus was misplaced, that He was only a man. He was overcome by the Romans and the Jews. They didn't understand that this was a part of God's plan, that He had to shed His blood. He had to go and redeem the souls that were in hell and bring them to heaven. And they didn't understand what was going on. So from their perspective, it was going to be a terrible, bleak time. They were going to see Jesus beaten. They were going to see Him crucified in agony. And yet He said, don't let your heart be troubled. Did you know that most people today would say that's unreasonable? This is wrong. You're telling people to suppress their feelings. They're in denial. They should be grieving. They should be brokenhearted. And yet Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. Now there's a lot of things in this. I've actually got a teaching on John 14, 15, and 16 that I've entitled uh, the Christian Survival Kit. And I make this point about it being the worst crisis of their entire life. And yet Jesus told them how to survive and to come out on the other side. And the very first thing He told them was don't let your heart be troubled. Going back to this same principle I was just talking about. That like if you let a horse just get up his full head of steam, if you let him get out of control, probably the best thing for you to do is to jump off that horse. You are going to wind up in trouble. You just... You can't take a horse that, you know, uh, I had small horses. Most of them were Arabians and they were around 1,100 pounds. 
And you can have horses, Clydesdales, and bigger horses that are over 2,000 pounds. You take an animal that is just 2,000 pounds of muscle and you let them start running, and I guarantee you, you are in for trouble. Probably the best thing to do is just to find a soft spot and jump off and, and roll and do the best that you can. But it's hard to bring one under control after they're out of control. But you can stop a horse from getting out of control. Now, I need to explain this a little bit because some, most people don't deal with horses. I'm not a great horseman, but I've had horsemen, I've had horses most of my life, and I've just learned some things about horses. And you know, over in uh, James chapter 3, it talks about that you put a bit and a bridle in a horse's mouth and you turn about their whole body and you can control them. And the reason it was saying that is like our tongue is like a bit and bridle. Your words can control your whole body, your actions. That's how powerful words are. But in the process of making that point, he talked about how that you can turn a horse whole body around with a bit in their mouth. So most people don't know this, but God created a horse that they can't do anything without their head. If a horse is laying on the ground, you could take a 2,000-pound horse, a Clydesdale or one of these big plow horses, and you could, if that horse was laying on the ground, you could step on its head, put some pressure on its head, and that huge horse that's 2,000 pounds, maybe it's your best, you're 200 pounds, it's 10 times bigger than you are, and yet you can hold that horse on the ground by just holding its head down. A horse that is laying on the ground cannot get up unless it throws its head. Likewise, if it's up, it can't get down unless it puts its head down. Also, a horse cannot run straight if its head is pointed to the side. It is going to go the direction of its head. So you shouldn't let a horse get out of control, but if you do, one thing you can do is to take just one rein and just pull that rein to the side. And of course, the pressure on that bit, it will obey that bit. And if you turn that horse's head to the side, it'll make that horse turn and go in a circle and stop. But see, most people don't know this, and because of it, they're fearful of this. And I have met many people that just are afraid of horses, and because they don't have this knowledge, they just let the horse basically control them instead of them controlling the horse, and that's dangerous. A horse is a powerful animal, and uh, emotions are powerful. Anything that's powerful has potential for good, but it also has a lot of potential for bad. I tell you, there's not anything I've done I don't think that's scarier than being on a horse that's out of control, and I've had that happen a number of times. And emotions are like that. Your emotions are powerful, and they are not just the byproduct. They are not just a consequence of what's happening to you. You've got to understand that emotions were given to us by God. They are the spice of life, and they're also the worst part of life if they're out of control. And sad to say, most Christians feel no responsibility, no control, no authority over their emotions. I'm going to be showing you from Scripture that that's not true. Right here is one example. Jesus talking to His disciples the very night before His crucifixion when everybody today with their psychology would sit there and say, you cannot expect people to go through the crucifixion in these three days before the resurrection and still have joy and peace and things like this. It's unreasonable. You can't do that. That is not humanly possible. That's the mindset of today. But Jesus was saying, don't let your heart be troubled. 
This wasn't a suggestion. It's a command. You know, he would have been unjust to tell them that if it was impossible for them to do it. And again, people today, I can't control, I can't help it. They did this to me. And see, people aren't accepting responsibility, authority, control over their emotions. They're saying, no, I can't help it. This person spit on me. This person said this about me. This person did this. One of the things that sets people apart from animals is that we were created in the image of God. We are not just a physical body, although we have one. We are not just a mind and emotions, although we have those. You have a spirit. You have been born in the image of God, especially if you are born again. You now have the nature of God on the inside of you, and you are not like an animal. You are not just a product of your environment. Your environment is an influence, but it is not the determining factor. You can choose. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, God said, Behold, I call heaven and earth to record against you this day that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that you and your seed may live. God gave you the choice. You have a choice whether you become bitter or better. You are not only a product of your emotions. You are not only a product of your environment and what's happening to you. And I know that right now there are some people that are battling bad things in your life. You're facing depression and things like this. And you're just saying, well, this is making it even worse. You're saying that it's my fault that I have given in. I could have resisted this. I could have done better. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. And some of you are, well, that just makes me worse. That's even more condemned. But until you accept responsibility and authority over your emotions, then you are going to be the victim. You'll never be a victor as long as you have a victim mentality, as long as you think, I can't do this. I don't have this authority. God has given you power and authority, and I'm telling you, you can control your emotions. Not just only on your own, not just you know gritting it out and doing it in your own human strength, but through the Spirit of God, through the life that He's placed on the inside of you, you can overcome these negative things. And I know some of you are saying, no, that's not true. I can't help it. This happened to me and I can't control it. I go back to this verse I used. Jesus was talking to his disciples the night before his crucifixion and he told them, don't let your heart be troubled. He would have been unjust to give them that command if they couldn't do it. And yet there's people today saying, well, you can't control your emotions. That's contrary to what the Bible says. You can control your emotions. One of the ways that people cope with negative in their life is to just give up all responsibility, authority, and say, I can't help it. You know, this person did this, this problem happened to me, and I can't help it. I am just a product of my environment. And it makes them feel better at first because they don't have any sense of condemnation, any sense of failure. They don't have to deal with any of these negative things. And so it's comforting at the moment it gives you a little bit of relief to just think, well, I can't help it. I'm only human. And this is, you know, this is just what happens when these bad things happen. But that is contrary to what Jesus said. Jesus was talking to his disciples right before the worst time that they would ever experience in their entire life. And he says, don't let your heart be troubled. That's the very first thing he told them. Why didn't he tell them something else? No, he started by saying, don't let your heart be troubled. If these disciples gave in to grief and sorrow and then started thinking, well, Jesus must not have been the true Messiah because he was defeated by the Romans. He's dead. He's buried. I put him in the tomb. 
And if they would have started allowing all the emotions and the feelings that go with that and just let them run wild, it could have totally derailed their faith. It could have totally destroyed them. So the very first thing Jesus said is, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And he's showing you here that the way you keep your heart from being troubled is you get into faith instead of into feelings. You don't let your emotions run wild. You control them. Man, that's huge. And I know that there's millions of people right now that are saying this is just unreasonable. You aren't being compassionate. You don't understand where I've come from. I'm saying these things to help you. It's the truth that's going to set you free. Not the stuff that's being said today by, by people and their humanistic, materialistic way of trying to cope with their problems. That's not going to set you free. It's the truth that's going to set you free. And the truth is that I don't care what you're going through. You can control your emotions. You are not just an animal. You are not just a hunk of chemicals. You can choose what you want to do. You know, many of you have heard this testimony, but on March the 4th of 2001, I got a call at 4 in the morning, and my wife and I had just gotten in from an overseas trip, and we had only been asleep for three or four hours. And I got a call, and it was my oldest son, and he said, Dad, I'm sorry to tell you, but Peter, my youngest son, is dead. And I asked him what happened, and then I said, don't let anybody touch him till I get there. The first report is not the last report. And I hung up. Jamie and I had to get out of bed. We had to get dressed. It takes us an hour to drive into Colorado Springs. This is back before we had cell phones. We didn't know what was going on. And what would happen if you were woke up out of a dead sleep, told that your son was dead? What would you feel? Well, I can guarantee you, I felt everything that anybody else would feel. Sometimes when I teach on these kind of things and I talk about harnessing your emotions and I give these testimonies about how I've reacted contrary to what I feel, people think it's because I don't feel the same thing that they do, that somehow or another I'm different and I just don't have emotions. That is not true. I begin to feel everything that any person would feel if you were told that your son was dead. And I begin to feel that. Even though Jamie and I had prayed and we called our son back to life, I, I didn't know that that was going to happen. I, I was believing that it was going to happen, but I hadn't got the confirmation of it yet. I didn't know for sure. And on the way in, I began to start feeling sorrow, grief, confusion. How could this happen? If I hadn't have known the Word of God about God being a good God, if I was just like many religious people, I could have felt anger and bitterness like, God, why did you let this happen? But of course, God didn't let it happen. I started to feel all of these things. But you know what? I do not like being de defeated, depressed, discouraged, having anger and sorrow and grief. I don't like it. And I have learned that, praise God, I don't have to have it. And so even though I had these feelings, I began to do what Jesus said right here. Don't let your heart be troubled. I began to take my authority and I began to say, Father, I praise you. I started quoting scriptures like Psalms 34. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And I just started praising God out loud. And I started glorifying God and saying, God, you're a good God. Thank you that you did not kill my son. Thank you that we have power in our words and we've spoken. And I just started praising God and worshiping Him. Now, I know that there's people 
watching this program, and they will sit there and say, well, you were in denial. Well, my son came back from the dead after being dead for nearly five hours. He had already started to turn black. They had stripped him naked, put him on a slab in a cooler with a toe tag on, had pronounced him dead. And after being dead for nearly five hours, he came back to life because I wasn't in denial that I felt these things, but I was in denial that I had to let my emotions control me. I have authority over my emotions, and I know the power of praise. This is a whole different teaching, but man, Jesus taught that, that God has ordained uh, praise as strength to still the enemy and the avenger. That's out of Matthew chapter 21 put together with Psalms chapter 8. And because I knew these things, I felt grief, I felt confusion, I felt sorrow, I felt these things, but I was not going to let my emotions run away with me. And I grabbed control of my emotions and I started praising God and worshiping God. And when I did, it's a, it's a long story, but God brought things back to my remembrance. He quickened my faith and I started doing it just by faith. I didn't feel praise. I didn't feel joy. I didn't feel peace. I felt the opposite of all of those things. But I just chose to act on what God's Word says. Just like Jesus said right here, don't let your heart be troubled. How do you do that? You believe in God. And I believed the promises that God had given me about this son that had not come to pass yet. And because of it, I mean supernatural faith rose up on the inside of me and I just, I started praising God. I wasn't silly about it. It wasn't foolish but it was true joy and peace. The Bible says, Isaiah 26, 3, the Lord will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusts in him. And I had a supernatural peace and joy come over me. And I told Jamie, before we got into the springs, I said, this is going to be the greatest miracle we've ever seen. And I was actually excited. I was actually happy. And I know some of you think, you're weird. Well, I think you're weird. I think that you're weird to just let your emotions run wild and whatever. Just let them go as if you have no control over it. You don't want the grief. You don't want the sorrow. You don't want the confusion. You don't want these things, but you don't feel like you have any control over it. I think that's weird. That is a person who does not understand that the Word of God gave us commands like right here. Don't let your heart be troubled. He would have been unjust to give a command if we couldn't fulfill it. You can control your emotions. You can choose to rejoice. Even when you're told that your children are dead, you can choose to go ahead and bless God at all times. Let His praise continually be in your mouth. And some people think, that's not humanly possible. Well, then that's just because you don't understand the power and the authority that God has given us. And I'm telling you, you can do it. I am convinced that if I had let this grief and sorrow that I was beginning to feel just go, and if I had given in to my emotions, and if I had let myself just fall apart like a $2 suitcase, that my son would be dead today. But did you know that because I understood these things and I understood how important it is not to let emotions dominate me, but to let my heart and my uh, choices the Word of God, my faith in what God says dominate me. Because I made that choice, I'm convinced that that's the reason my son is alive. If I'd have given in to those emotions, my son would be dead. And did you know that the next year, 
after he came back from the dead is when he had uh, his little girl and my granddaughter, Renan, she just turned 13 years old. We just took her on a trip to Europe when I was ministering in England and Poland and Rome. And we just had an awesome time with her. I wouldn't have had my son. I wouldn't have had my granddaughter. None of these things would have been true if I had just given in to emotions. I'm telling you, this is important. Emotions aren't the caboose. They are the engine. Emotions don't just follow whatever happens in your life. That's what most people feel. That's what they think, and they allow that to go on, and they think, I can't control this. I can't help how I feel. You can totally help how you feel. You can choose how you want to feel. Again, I go back to a verse that I used, Deuteronomy 30, 19. Behold, I call heaven and earth to record against you this day that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. God gave you the choice. You can choose life or death. You can choose blessing or cursing. You can choose joy or sadness. It's your choice. Well, I'm struggling with depression and sadness, but I didn't choose it. Yes, you did. And I know some of you may take offense and think, well, how dare you say that? I didn't want to be sorry. Somebody died and I couldn't help it. You chose to believe that you are only human. You chose to believe that you can't control your emotions. You chose to focus on your loss instead of focusing on the positive things. You've made choices that caused your emotional state. Now, you may not have just out and out chosen to be depressed, discouraged, grief-stricken or whatever, but you made choices that made you susceptible to that. You know, we played this... Uh, video about Alan and Debbie Moore and he was miraculously healed and raised up after a massive stroke that actually killed one-third of his brain and he worked on my phones until just recently and then in April they had a car wreck they were turning left they they took off and a person ran a red light at 55 miles an hour and t-boned him and hit Alan and he died in this car wreck and so the previous healing that we showed on this testimony, it's still valid. It was all true. Everything came to pass. And harnessing their emotions was one of the things that made Debbie able to overcome all of the negative reports of the doctor. Now, in just April of 2015, when Alan died, Debbie had to deal with this again. And, you know, she was just telling me this morning. I asked how she's doing, and she is just praising God, said her focus is on Jesus. She's happy. She's praising God. She's excited about life. And she is less than two months away from having lost her husband in this car wreck. And you know what? She could have gotten mad and angry at the person, this woman that ran the red light, was not paying attention. We don't know, but she was distracted in her driving. She could be mad and angry at that, and yet she's chosen to forgive. She could be grieving and missing her husband, and yet she's chosen to just rejoice in the fact that he's with the Lord and we know where he is. And she has chosen to do these things, and she is acting contrary to the way most people would act, and some people would criticize her and try and drag her down to their level to where you need to be grieving. You need to let this grief process go on. No, she needs to be going ahead and praising God and blessing God at all times and not letting her heart be troubled. That's what Jesus told us to do. Remember that this scripture I used in John 14 was from the night before Jesus was crucified. And the very last thing he said to his disciples before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and prayed and then was arrested. Here's the last thing he said 
in John 16, 33, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation. See, this. some people think that the only way you can have joy and your emotions uh, stayed on God and have positive emotions instead of negative emotions is to change all of the circumstances out here. They are trying to pray, oh God, don't let anybody be against me. Don't let anybody persecute me. Make everybody love me. Get this person out of my life. Bring this person into my life. And they're trying to change all of these external things, thinking that happiness is just a byproduct of everything in your life being good. But Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He wasn't telling you to be of good cheer when all of your circumstances are fine and everything's good and then you can rejoice. No, you have to choose to be of good cheer even in the midst of circumstances. Debbie Moore back here that I was just talking about is keeping her mind on the Lord. She told me this morning, she says, Isaiah 26, 3 is one of her favorite passages. And it says, the Lord will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon him because he trusts in him. And Debbie is doing that. Her focus is on the Lord. And because of it, even with the loss of her husband, she is just praising God. She's happy. She's joyful. She answers our phones. And she had somebody call in who was just complaining and talking about how bad their life was. And they were just going on and on. And in a sense, justifying them being defeated and depressed because you don't know what's happened to me. So Debbie just told him, says, well, I just lost my husband last week. He died. We were, he's killed in a car wreck. I've got my pelvis broken. And she had all kinds of things that she was having to deal with. And she says, I've got all of these things going on. Is, that, uh, is yours as bad as mine? And this guy, just, well, no. Why are you even at work? And she says, because I love the Lord and because God has taken care. And she just began to start ministering unto him. And this guy said, you know what? I, I don't think I really have a problem. And it really helped him. But see, people, they, it's like they, they draw a line. And they say, oh yeah, I'm going to praise God even if everything's not good. As long as it's you know, just minor stuff that's not good. As long as, as it's a hangnail. I've got a little bit of a headache. I'm going to still praise God. But if somebody dies, if you go through a divorce, if this happens, if that happens, well then they just draw a line. You can't rejoice in that. It's only in these minor things that we can overcome. But I'm telling you, the Lord says you keep your mind stayed on Him. He'll keep you in perfect peace at all times. I'm telling you, it can be done. You're too late to tell me that you cannot control your emotions. I have done it. I have seen miraculous supernatural results. And I'm telling you, until you start getting better results than what I'm getting, maybe you ought to try adopting what I'm saying, what the Word of God says, instead of just going by what everybody else says, that you're only a human, that you can't control this. You aren't only human. You've got the supernatural power of God living on the inside of you. Galatians 5, and 23 says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And it goes on and lists nine things. You've got love on the inside of you, joy. And peace, those are emotions. They aren't only emotions, but it includes emotions. And you've got that on the inside of you. Now, are you going to let out what is on the inside of you, the supernatural part that's been born again? Or are you just going to let your emotions be dominated by what you see, taste, hear, smell, and feel? The choice is yours. I'm encouraging you to choose life. I'm telling you that you can do it. God gave you a command that even in tribulation, be of good cheer. 
You can rejoice even when the bottom is falling out. Even when things aren't going your way, you can still rejoice. And I think that this is the very first step to harnessing your emotions is just knowing that God did give you authority. Now there's other things. I've used this example about horses and I gave you some things about how you control them with a bit and and their mouth. There's things that you have to learn, but just knowing that there is a way to control something that's bigger than you, that's encouraging. Even before I give you all of the practical steps that I'm going to be giving in this whole teaching, before you get all of the answers, the very first thing is you've got to quit advocating your authority and you've got to say, I can do this. Through Christ, I can do all things. Philippians 4.13 And I am going to overcome this. And I'm not going to depend on a pill. I'm not going to just pray and get rid of all problems in my life. In the midst of my problems, I am going to overcome this thing. In the midst of tribulation, I am going to be of good cheer. I am going to come out of this. And that's the very first step is just understanding and believing, embracing that you can do this. Not just in your own power, but through Christ, you can do all things. And many of you have just given up hope. Many of you have advocated all authority over your life and you are just sitting there as a victim, pleading and waiting on God to change everything external. It starts on the inside. It starts with you standing up on the inside and saying, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired and I am not going to embrace these emotions. I am not going to let them rule me. I'm going to rule them. I'm going to control them. Let me use, I've used a bunch of scriptures already, but here's one from the Apostle Paul over in 2 Corinthians in chapter 4. Uh, Paul was talking in this chapter about some of the hardships that he had suffered, and I mean, they were numerous. And then he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, he says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal way to glory. Now here's the Apostle Paul talking. He had listed some of the problems that he had. Let me just go back and read a few of the things that had happened unto him. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, he says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. Now see, here he is beginning to go against what the, just the natural emotional response would be. He had trouble on every side. You could turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and read about some of his troubles. I mean, he was persecuted. He was stoned and left for dead. He was arrested falsely. He was imprisoned for years. He was uh, put on a ship and uh, beaten and whipped. And I mean, on and on. And yet he says, but not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. And it, he goes on and talks about how that death is working in them. Persecution, rejection. He was facing death on a constant basis, but it, the things that he was enduring was producing life in other people. And so see, he was focused on what the end result would be, not just all of the trouble that you had to go through to get there. And because of this, he comes down in verse 17 and he says, it's a light affliction. Now again, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 talks about him being persecuted, beaten with rods, beaten with whips, 
uh, stoned and left for dead, falsely imprisoned, falsely accused, on and on and on. Paul had more problems than you do. And I know some of you are going to sit there and complain and say, oh no, I had more problems. But I tell you, the Apostle Paul was being mightily used of God and the the more God uses you, it doesn't mean that the fight gets less. Uh, The more you are on the front lines, the bigger target you are. When God is using you, it's like you have this huge uh, target just painted on you and Satan is going to throw things at you. But you can overcome them all if you operate in what the Word of God says. I'm not saying that Paul was defeated. He said it was just a light affliction, but that wasn't because he didn't have problems. It's because of the way he evaluated them. It's because of the way that he perceived them and processed stuff that happened to him. Some of you have made huge problems out of things that aren't that big. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm understanding that some people are facing major problems, financial, emotional, relational Uh, You know, it could be uh, the death of a loved one. I'm not trying to minimize and say that you don't have problems, but I am saying that there are many, many people that are making a big problem out of something that's a small problem. You know, let me just give you some examples. Uh, I just recently got back from a trip to England, Poland, Rome, and Wales. And I was ministering in these places. And anyway, while we were in Rome, we decided that we'd go see the Colosseum. I had been there when I was 18 years old. But it was the first time that my wife and granddaughter had ever been there. So anyway, we wanted to really take in the sights, make this special for my granddaughter. She's 13 years old. And so we got a private tour, paid hundreds of dollars for this. And uh, we paid for it in advance. And anyway, it's a long story, but they had a wreck and we wound up getting there late and we missed the tour. And you know what? It was non-refundable. We just lost 300 something dollars. And anyway, it was disappointing to all three of us, my wife and my granddaughter and me. But I was just determined that, you know what? I was going to still have a good day and that we were still going to take advantage of this. Our first thought was, well, we just missed it. And I mean... I don't know how many people were there, but I I wouldn't be surprised if there weren't 10,000 people at that Coliseum. It turned out it was a holiday. It was their Independence Day. And there was thousands and thousands of people there. The line was hours long to get into that place. That's the reason we prepaid, had a private tour so that we could avoid all of these things. And we were late, lost the money. I think it was over $300. And you know, our first thought is just, man, let's not fight the crowd. Let's just forget it. Let's go back. And, but I just said, no. I said, uh, for my granddaughter, my wife, this may be the only time that they were able to go see it. And I wasn't going to just get discouraged and depressed and sad over the thing and miss out on it. And so I said, look, you go, they went and got a gelato. (laughs) It was hot. And so they went and got a gelato to make them feel better. And I started standing in line and I was just praying and saying, Father, I praise you and I don't care what happens. There is a way out of this. Something is going to work. And while I was standing in line, there was a guy that came up and he offered me a private tour. It was an official business and I don't know all of the details of it. But anyway, for 25 euros per person, 13 euros for my granddaughter, we got a private tour. We skipped all of the lines. We went to the front of everything. And I don't know exactly what we missed on our private tour because I missed it. 
But I don't know how it could have been any better than this guy. This guy was a walking historian. He just loved talking about it. You could ask him any question. He could tell you things. We had an awesome, awesome day. And I mean, it was great. But you know, if I would have let my emotions just go and got upset and stuff, we could have missed out on that. It could have been a bad memory. But now, as we look back and remember that time, we are going to remember it. It was a positive thing. My granddaughter loved it. My wife loved it. We all talked about it at the end of the day that it started out to be a bad day, but it turned out to be just awesome. We also got to go through the forum. We also got to go through the museums all on that one deal. We got things explained to us. It was just great. And I know that that's a small thing in a way, but this is how people See, let their emotions go. They, they may sit there and in a real big crisis, if it's life and death, then they're going to try and believe God. But in these small things, they'll just, they'll let disappointments on a vacation. Maybe the room didn't turn out to be exactly what you wanted it to be. We had that on these trips too, and we ran into some problems. But you know what? We just decided that, praise God, we are going to rejoice and praise God. Uh, I just, when I got home from that trip, I was gone for three weeks. And this week, I am busy every single day. Yesterday, I had so many meetings lined up. I had to get a haircut, and I had a meeting during my haircut. <laughs> Sitting there getting my haircut, conducting a meeting with my staff. And then I didn't have time for, to eat. And so I had to hold a meeting, and I, I ate a little sandwich while I was holding this meeting. I mean, my point is that I was gone for three weeks. I was home one day. And then I've got a, a business summit starting and all of these things, and I am going to be going constant for weeks. And I had one day to get things done at home. While I was gone, my road had washed out some, so I needed to get my road fixed. I went down to my, I've got a skid loader, and I went down to start it up, and I had a flat. It's not easy to fix a flat on a skid loader. I mean, this is a huge machine, and yet I had to fix this flat, and then I tried to start it. It's been sitting all winter long. The battery was dead, so I had to go jump the battery and do that. And the car, my pickup that I used to work on my road and to do things, the uh, snowplow on it wouldn't raise. There was a short in the control, and it wouldn't raise, so I couldn't use my pickup. And just one problem after another, I had all of these things, one day to get it done, one day I'm home out of a whole month, to get something done, and I couldn't get half of it done because I had all of these different things. And again, that's a small thing in a way, but did you know what? That I've had the temptation of just sitting there and thinking, man, what else could go wrong? And I just decided, just like I'm preaching right here, that I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. And I started praising God that I had the ability to fix the flat, that I had the ability to jump the thing that I had another car that I could use to do, go do this. And I just started praising God, thanking Him for the weather. It was a beautiful day. And I just chose to focus on the positive things instead of the negative things. And I know some of you think those are small things, but see, this is where people miss it. They just, they let circumstances, they let a flat tire, they let a broken uh, something, you know, that your phone isn't working right. And these things, they let those things frustrate you. I know people that are perfectionist. You know, accountants uh, tend to be this way. They, they think in numbers and everything's got to be in its place and they will just worry about everything. And they let things that haven't even happened yet worry them about what's going to happen and they, they get to focusing on those things. 
I have just made a decision that I'm going to bless the Lord at all times. And because of it, even when things aren't going right, if it's something big like my son dying, if it's something small like my tire on my skid loader being flat and I'm not able to get some of the things done, I just, it doesn't matter what it is, I'm going to focus on something. I'm going to find something to praise God for and I am going to rejoice in the Lord always. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. I think the reason he said, again, I say rejoice is because he knew that this was going to be such a radical statement. People were going to think, you can't rejoice at all times. And so he said, just so that nobody would misunderstand him, again, I say rejoice. I'm meaning exactly what I'm saying, that there is no circumstances. There is nothing that goes on in life that you can't choose to praise God. You can find something to praise God for. If nothing else... You know, if worse came to worse, and if you died, if the doctors pronounced that, you know, you've got some disease, some incurable disease, you ought to praise God that Jesus has borne your sorrows, carried your grief, by His stripes you are healed, and that you ought to praise God that if the doctor says it's incurable, that doesn't mean it's incurable. God can cure it. But even if your faith isn't to the place to receive that, if worse came to worse, the worst thing that could happen to you is that you die. Amen. And what does that mean? That you go to be in the presence of the Lord. You know, if you, if you are just really thinking through things, there is nothing that happens that you can't praise God for. If you die, worst case scenario, you go to be with the Lord, you are going to live forever in a place that is so awesome that it says that the former things will never even come to mind. Every bit of grief, every sorrow, every problem that you've ever had in your entire life, heaven is going to be such a blast that you won't even think about it. It won't even come to mind any of the sorrow and the grief that you've ever had. And if you really believe that, you know, we go into church and we sing, uh, you know, when we all get to heaven, what a day that's going to be. And we all shout and say, hallelujah. And then the doctor tells you you're going there and you start crying. Something's wrong with this picture. See, Paul... He said, our light affliction. He had more problems than you and I've got. He was beaten. He was all of these things. And yet it was just a light affliction. How could he say that? Not because his problems were less than yours and mine, but because of the way he processed it, the way he focused on it, the way he thought about it. He said for one thing over in Philippians chapter 1, I think it's around verse 20 or 21, he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if a guy has that kind of an attitude, if he, he, if he sees his life here on this earth all to do with Christ, like he said in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So if he was living in this life, it was all about Jesus and making Jesus known to other people. He was totally consumed with living for Jesus. But... If he died, that was even better. And it was so real to him that he says, I'm in a strait between two. I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better for me, but I know that I'm going to stay here for your benefit. Now, if you have a guy like that and they tell him that he's going to die, I could just imagine Paul reaching up and kissing the people saying, oh, this is awesome. For me to die is gain. How do you defeat a person like that? You can't. I mean, Paul was rejoicing in this life because of all of the victories and the people's lives that were being changed. And if he died and went to be with the Lord, that was even better. 
See, if you get that attitude, you can rejoice in the Lord at all times. There is no circumstance that you cannot be praising God for. He says it's just a light affliction. And so he gives you two reasons right here. He says, first of all, our light affliction, which is but for a moment. One of the things that he did was to evaluate everything that happened to him in the light of eternity. You know, this is what I did a couple of days ago when I was telling you about being home that one day and I had my skid loader tire flat, I had the battery dead, I had my uh, snow plow, I couldn't raise it, I couldn't take it off, couldn't use that vehicle at all, and all of these things. You know, in the light of eternity, that's not that big of a deal. You know, give me a month, and I won't even remember all of those things that happened to me. Give me a year, and it'll be like that never happened. In the light of eternity, a flat tire, a battery that doesn't start, a snowplow that doesn't rain is not that big of a deal. And so one of the ways that I deal with disappointments is just to put it into the light of eternity. A thousand years from now, when I'm in eternity, is what's happening to me going to make or break my day? And the answer is absolutely not. This is what Paul is saying. He was looking at being beaten, shipwrecked, falsely imprisoned, accused of things, all of these things. He says, it's just a light affliction. Why? Because it's just for a moment. We don't know exactly how long Paul lived. His death isn't recorded in Scripture, but most people believe that he had around a 30-year, something like that, ministry. And, you know, 30 years, he just suffered problem after problem after problem. And he says, it's just for a moment. 30 years in the light of eternity is like the snap of a finger. It's nothing. Some of you think, well, I've been dealing with this marriage situation for 20 years and I'm just tired of it. Man, compared to eternity, it's nothing. It's no big deal. See, you have to put everything in its proper perspective. This person may have rejected you. Somebody may have criticized you. Somebody at work may have, you know, falsely accused you and you didn't get a promotion or whatever. But in the light of eternity, is that going to make a difference? No, and you just have to sit there and choose to just rejoice. I tell you, when you put everything into its proper perspective, it just shrinks problems down to nothing. I've actually had people come up in prayer lines before and they're just crying uncontrollably and I say, what's wrong with you? And they tell me, and I've actually had to bite my lip to keep from laughing at them because what is so big of a deal to them? I have worse things than that happen on my good days. Man, I deal with a lot of things. I could tell you so many things. Just yesterday, I had a lot of stuff come up and it could have made me discouraged and defeated, but I just choose to look at things in the light of eternity. I look back and see how faithful God's been in the past and it makes the problem I'm facing right now seem like nothing in comparison. I look forward and, and if worse comes to worse and if I don't reach my goals and if everything doesn't work, well, I'm going to go to be with the Lord and live forever in eternity. And so, you know what? I just can't lose for winning. And I look at things that way and I choose to praise God regardless of what's going on. You know, I've got a classic example of this. I've used this a lot, but it's because it's a great example. But I, minister, I, I uh, have a partner in Charlotte, North Carolina that used to own a business there of about 30 or 40 employees and I would always go in and minister to his employees and he would tell them, the clock's running, I'm paying you for this. You sit here and listen to this man talk as long as he wants to. And then he'd turn it over to me and I'd just share the gospel with these people. And this has been many years ago, probably 15 or more years ago now, but I was sharing and uh, I went back into a break room afterwards and invited people to come back and I got to lead like 
10 or so of the employees to the Lord. And then there was this one woman who came back and she had tried to commit suicide the day before. She was an alcoholic. Her husband was an alcoholic. He had threatened her with divorce and this was either her third or fourth divorce. They were very poor. They were just having multiple problems and she was so depressed and discouraged she had tried to commit suicide the day before. So when I got up and talked, she came back to this break room and she was crying and she told me her whole situation. And she says, please pray for my marriage. I couldn't stand another divorce. And uh, that's the reason she had tried to kill herself. She says, would you please pray for my marriage? But she had started off by saying, I'm not a Christian like you and Chip, the owner of this business, but I know that God's real and I want you to pray for my marriage. So I just stopped her and I said, let me make sure that I've got understood this right. I said, you aren't a Christian and you know that you aren't a Christian. And she says, that's right. I said, if you were to die right now, you'd go to hell and not to heaven. And she says, that's right. And I said, and you want me to pray for your marriage and not to pray for your salvation? And she said, yes, that's right. And I said, lady, don't you realize that in the light of eternity, after you've been in hell for a thousand years, suffering in torment, you aren't going to give a rip whether this marriage worked or not. Who cares about your marriage? You need to get saved. And it's just like I slapped that woman. She immediately just sobered up, quit crying, looked at me, and she says, you're right. And I prayed with her, and this woman got born again, and then I prayed with her about her marriage. I'm not saying that marriage is not important, but I'm saying compared to eternity, it's not important. But see, there's people watching this program that you're thinking, well, if you're going through a divorce, though, you couldn't be happy. You couldn't rejoice in the Lord always uh, if you're going through a divorce. Yes, you can. Because, it, you know, if nothing else, take the scripture that says in heaven, they neither marry nor are given in marriage and say, thank you, Jesus. I'm not going to have to deal with marriage problems throughout all eternity. And you could be rejoicing over that. You could take the scripture where it says that God has engraven us on the palms of his hand and that a nursing mother may forget her child, but God will never forget us. And so you, you could be saying, Father, thank you that you'll never divorce me. Thank you that you will never treat me the way that I'm being treated right now. And you could find something to rejoice. I'm not saying that you don't have to deal with some things, but you could still overall, like Paul, you could say that, man, he is perplexed, but he's not discouraged. He's not in despair. He's overcoming all of these things. You can rejoice regardless of what's happening to you. And that's the first point I've been trying to get across. I'm trying to counter this thought that you have no control, no authority over your emotions. Before I tell you exactly how to do it, first of all, you got to receive the good news, and that is that you have commands, that you are supposed to, even in the midst of tribulation, be of good cheer. You're supposed to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. You're supposed to bless the Lord at all times. And this is good news. Here's another one right here in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And in verse 47, it says, Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for the abundance of all things, therefore shalt thou serve thine enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee in hunger and in thirst and in nakedness and in the want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck until he have destroyed thee. Now Deuteronomy chapter 28 is what's called the blessings and the cursings of the law. Deuteronomy 28 verses 1 through 14 list all of the blessings that'll come upon you for obedience. Verses 15 through 68 list all of the curses. Now, this has to be interpreted in the light of the new covenant. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 13, it says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. And so 
we aren't going to receive these curses that are listed here because Jesus took the curse for us. And for those who have made Jesus their Lord and have accepted His payment, you will never be cursed by the Lord. You will never be rejected. So it needs to be interpreted in the light of that. But nonetheless, this it's just because God put our punishment upon Jesus didn't mean that He changed what's right and wrong. Even though we aren't going to be punished for our own sins, sin is still sin. It's still wrong. And this is listing some of the reasons that God was going to bring curses upon the Israelites. And one of them here in verses 47 to 48 was because they didn't rejoice and serve the Lord with joyfulness and gladness of heart for the abundance of the things that God had given him. So God right here says, I'm going to punish you because you didn't rejoice over the good things I've done. Now again, see, this is just totally, totally different than what most people think. Most people do not feel accountable, responsible for their emotions. If you were to come to most people and say, all right, you're going to be punished if you don't start rejoicing in the Lord, they would just think this is weird. This is unreasonable. I can't control my emotion. How could you punish me for something? It's not my choice to be discouraged or sad. It's what happened to me. And yet the Lord is saying He is going to punish them because they did not rejoice for the abundance of all things that they had. So this forever takes emotions out of the realm of just something that you would like to have, but it's not anything you have control or authority over. It shows that you can rejoice. You have to rejoice. We were commanded to rejoice. Boy, this is, this is important. And again, most people don't think this way. And so they just give in to these negative emotions. I used this example earlier, but nobody gets up in the morning and just says, all right, I'm believing for it to be depressed by evening. Nobody prays for that. They don't want it. They would desire to have good emotions. But if something bad happens during the day, they just give in to it. And they think, well, this person rejected me. How could I feel any differently? Well, I was reading those verses by Paul over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 yesterday. And it said that Paul, he said his affliction was just a light affliction. And yet he was beaten. He was beaten with rods. He was beaten with whips. He was stoned and left for dead. He was put in prison. All of these terrible things happened. And yet it was just a light affliction. And he chose to rejoice and praise God through the midst of it all. In the 16th chapter of the book of Acts, you can read where Paul and Silas were beaten mercilessly. And then they were put in prison and thrown into the dungeon and their, their feet and their hands put into stocks. And so here they are with lacerated backs. They were bleeding. They were in a prison that was dark. It said that the jailer had to get a light and come in because it was totally dark. They didn't have any light. It wasn't a prison like today where they were laying on their cot watching television. Their feet and hands were in the stocks. It was terrible. It was bad. And at midnight, Paul and Silas started singing and praising God. And they didn't do it just so that they could have God intervene and get set free. Because when, they, when the Lord did intervene and an earthquake came and their bands were loose, their stocks were broken and they were free, they didn't leave. Here's a novel idea or a thought. Paul and Silas didn't praise God just to get out of their situation. Paul and Silas were praising God out of a pure heart just because they loved Him. And when they were set free, they didn't leave. They just stayed there. And all of the prisoners stayed there too. Boy, that's amazing. 
And see, most people would sit there and say, well, they were in denial. Well, what they were doing was denying that this earth and that this life and that the problems we have in this life is all that there is. They were thinking, Jesus said over in uh, Matthew chapter 5 when he was teaching the Sermon on the Mount, he says, rejoice when people persecute you and throw out your name for my sake. He says, rejoice, shout and leap for joy for great is your reward in heaven. There is a special blessing when people persecute us because of our faith in the Lord. We are going to be so compensated, so recompensed by the Lord in eternity that if you were to think on those things instead of what this person said about you, but if you were to think about how God loves you and how God is going to give you rewards and crowns and you are going to be blessed, blessed, blessed for all of the rejection and hurt. and th If you thought about that, you could be like Paul and Silas and start rejoicing. They were rejoicing and praising God in the midst of a terrible situation. I know that there's many people watching this program that you, you agree with me that we should rejoice. You desire to do it, but you don't feel a responsibility. You don't feel a, uh, a control or an authority to get it done. But I'm telling you, God has given you commands right here in Deuteronomy where he said he was punishing people because they didn't rejoice for the joy and gladness for the abundance of things that they've given him. I tell you, this shows that, that rejoicing is not just something that happens when you feel like it. It's something that you have to choose to do. You have to make a decision and you just have to choose to bless God and to focus on the positive things instead of focusing on the negative things. And that's powerful to me. You know, I'm sharing with you about how to harness your emotions. And the very first thing for me is just to realize that I was given commands to do it. I was given examples of it. Paul and Silas rejoiced when they were beaten and thrown in prison and all of these things. And because of this, the very first thing that set me free in this area was just rejecting the thoughts of this world that I can't do this. I can't control it. I have no power, no authority over this. I have totally rejected that. And I believe what God's Word says and praise God, I am going to rejoice. I don't care what happens to me. If they slit my throat, I'm going to praise God that it was with a clean knife that didn't have any rust or germs on it. Amen. I'm going to find something to praise God for in the midst of any situation. Amen. It just It's really down to what you choose to focus on. I just got back from a trip to uh, England and Poland and Italy and Wales. And I um, just went up and saw our building. And in three weeks' time that I was gone, they have gotten so much done. And, but anyway, my point is that yesterday we paid out $1.7 million. We're paying for this project debt-free, uh, paying as we go. And anyway, I'm now down to basically nothing. I have nothing left <laughs> to continue to, to uh, build all of this. And yet we've got, I don't know, tw uh, before the end of this year, I've got to come up with another $18 million above our normal expenses. Now, the reason I bring all this up is to say that I could either go there and I could see how far we've got to go and how much money I need and how I'm basically just 
totally out of money at this time. And I could either look at that, and if I look at that, well then my emotions are going to follow what I'm focused on. And I'll start seeing the need. I'll start seeing how are we going to get there. And that would cause all kinds of thoughts of fear, doubt, and unbelief, etc. But you know what? Because of these decisions, these things that I'm telling you right here, and I have just chosen to rejoice, when I went there yesterday and I saw how much we've changed, I was just overwhelmed with the amount of building that's going on. And instead of seeing what we don't have, I saw what we do have. And I saw that everything there, tons and tons and tons, nearly four miles of steel, if you put it end to end, is paid for. And it's either up or laying on the ground and in the process of getting put up. And instead of seeing what I don't have, I saw what we did have. And I tell you what, I was just praising God and thanking God. And when you focus on the positive and you praise God for what is happening, not what might happen or it might not happen. And when you do, it just makes faith rise up in your heart. And I tell you, I am just so excited. I'm believing God that we've been in constant construction for 30 months and we have never had to stop. We have gone full blast and I believe, praise God, it's going to just continue. But I don't have any guarantee other than just my faith and the fact that I'm focusing on these things. But instead of focusing on what might happen, what could happen and being fearful about that, I'm looking at what's already happened and it just gives me an assurance that he that's begun this good work in me is going to continue it and perform it and that, praise God, we're going to get all of these projects done and that's the way I deal with things. I know some of you don't relate exactly to what I'm talking about, but just look at it this way. If you had a, if you had a $53 million project going on and you were down to nothing and yesterday I think we had 85 workers on site we will get up to where we have nearly 200 workers on site at the height of this thing and you have all of this stuff going and you have no money left <laughs> you know what that could be cause for concern that could cause some anxiousness but it just depends on how I choose to think about it I live my life focusing on the good things. I look back at the faithfulness of God and I see that He's been so good to me. You know, when we started this project uh, a little over three years ago and bought this property, I had no money whatsoever. I mean, I had money coming in on a regular basis, but money set aside to bill, we had no money set aside to bill whatsoever. And yet over the last three years, we have spent 30 uh, $2 million on that first building that I call the barn. We now have spent close to $8 million on this second building that is now under construction. So you add all of that together, what's that, $43 million or something that I've spent above my normal income. And when I look back at that and see the faithfulness of God, I think that this next uh, you know, 40 million that I need or whatever, it's, it's no problem. I've already seen God come through. I've already seen God supply. And because of the way I choose to think about things and stuff, I just am praising God when some of my staff is a little bit concerned <laughs> about how are we going to continue on. But you just hide and watch. You could go to our website, awmi.net, and look on the latest construction update on there. And I believe that you'll see that, praise God, we're still continuing and things are going along and, and God's going to come through. And I just don't worry about stuff like this. 
And you know why? Because a lot of it has to do with the fact that I have learned to harness my emotions. I, I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but I'll give you a, a taste of some of the things I'm going to teach next week. But your emotions follow your thoughts. And if you choose to focus on what could be, what might be, and worry about all of these things, then it just breeds doubt and it breeds unbelief and it breeds discouragement and fear and worry and all of these things. But I just choose to look on what God has already done. I look at all the positive things. I choose to look at the future through the Word of God and your thoughts will totally dictate where your emotions go. Your emotions can't go anywhere that your thoughts haven't already been. So don't think on the negative things and you won't be depressed and discouraged. I'll be explaining that in a lot more detail. But I'm just saying that these things are things that I use in my life every single day because of it. I gave the testimony this week about how my son was raised from the dead and I firmly believe a huge part of that miracle took place because instead of me giving in to grief and sorrow, I just chose to praise God and look at the positive things. And I, I could give you thousands and thousands of examples of where I have chosen to believe God and operate in faith instead of just letting my emotions run unchecked. If you do that, it is a recipe for disaster. Let me use this other passage of Scripture out of James chapter 1. And I tell you, this is a powerful principle here. In James chapter 1 and in verse... Um, 13, it says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Now, there's a lot in these verses, but I just want to focus primarily on verses 14 and 15. It says, Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust. You know, the word lust today is a word that we use nearly exclusively to describe some kind of improper, immoral, sexual desire. But the word lust just literally is describing any uh, overwhelming or, or strong emotional Desire. Matter of fact, if you read this in the NIV, it translates this as desire instead of lust. Uh, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 17, I think it is, it says that the Spirit lusts against the flesh. The Holy Spirit is not having some strong, sexual, immoral desire against the flesh. That's not what it's talking about. It's just talking about that it's a strong emotion, a, a powerful emotion. So this is saying that every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust, his own desires, his own emotions, and, and enticed. And when lust, these emotions conceive, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. So what this verse is saying is that sin is conceived in your emotions. That's a huge statement right there. Emotions are like your spiritual womb. Whatever emotions you allow to function on the inside of you, you are allowing seeds to be sown that are going to spring up. Actually, the exact wording right here is it uses the word conceive. You conceive when you have emotions. If you are rejoicing and praising God, you are conceiving good things that are eventually going to come to birth in your life. If you have negative emotions, 
you are conceiving evil things. And I hope this isn't offensive to you, but this is following the exact same logic of these verses right here. When you are depressed, discouraged, angry, bitter, uh, unforgiving, etc., negative emotions like that, based on this uh, example right here, what you're doing is having like spiritual, emotional intercourse with the devil. You are allowing the devil to impregnate you with something that is going to come to birth. And the only way you're going to avoid the birth of these negative things is to have like an abortion or a miscarriage along the way. That's not the way to control birth. The way to control birth isn't to just go out and, and indulge yourself and conceive all of the time and then abort it so that you don't have to live with the consequences. The best way to avoid a birth is just to avoid the conception. And I don't think most people think this way, but this is saying that sin is conceived in your emotions. That's a strong statement. Most people, again, would not just say, all right, Satan, come in, impregnate me, plant your you know, thoughts of suicide and all of these negative things in my life. Just do your worst. You wouldn't do that but you will have something negative happen and then you'll have negative feelings that go with and you'll just allow those feelings to run rampant, not even thinking about what the consequences are. If you could understand what he's saying right here, when you have these negative emotions, sin is conceived in your emotions. When you allow discouragement to go, you are allowing Satan to plant seeds in you. You know, there's people that commit suicide and they don't want to do it, they, they sit there and think, you know, that I just couldn't help it. Of course, we don't get to hear exactly what they were thinking because they're on the other side. But I mean, they would sit there and say, I couldn't help it and stuff. But the truth is, you couldn't have even committed suicide unless you'd first of all indulged depression, discouragement, maybe rejection, anger, bitterness or something. And through these negative emotions, those seeds of suicide were planted in that person and then eventually it was acted out. And people look at that birth and think, how did this happen? Well, it, you know, I'm not going to teach on all of this right now. I hope some of you understand these things, but the stork doesn't bring babies. You have to conceive it. When a baby is born, that is not when that conception started. There's a lot of things that went on. And when a person goes out and commits sin, that is not when that sin just came upon them like a seizure. They had to conceive it. It started long time before in the emotions. If you can't control your emotions, then you cannot control the birth that is going to come as a result of those emotions.